Welcome to We Are DB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. That's me. Thanks for joining us as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number four on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is The Dark Knight. Released in 2008, starring an all-star cast, with Christian Bale as the main lead and the last performance of Heath Ledger, The Dark Knight, with a K, is a Batman movie set in modern-day fictional city of Gotham City. The film is inspired by other Batman properties, particularly some of the best or first instances of the Joker and Harvey Two-Face Dent, which are the main villains, but otherwise an original screenplay. The film is directed, co-produced, and co-written by Christopher Nolan. I quite liked it. I remember the first time I ever saw it, I think it was like 12, and it scared the crap out of me. So you had seen it before? Yeah. Because this is one of those films that we had said that we had recently watched together, and then we had to re-watch again for this episode. So it's only been six months or so since you actually saw the trilogy? Yes. I hadn't seen it before. Like, I hadn't seen the whole trilogy before. I'd only seen The Dark Knight before. And I remember the young, scared little 12-year-old that I was. It was quite dark. And it was quite, um, demented. Is that what I'm trying to go for? It's got some interesting twists for, you know, what can a terrorist do? And I mean, usually they're pretty dark anyway. But I mean, I don't know, the Joker's just that kind of really creepy, fucked up character that as watching it again, I was actually really drawn to that character and Heath Ledger's version of that character just because I think he played it so well. He just, he put it, he put a really cool spin on it. There are just quite a few instances with that character where it's like, this guy's, this guy's freaking crazy. And that was the whole point of that character, I think. I think the biggest, most memorable part of The Dark Knight is Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Because he's so unique in his portrayal. He puts on a voice that's very different to the, any other uh, Joker portrayal. The Joker is most famously uh, portrayed by Mark Hamill because he's been playing it for the last 20, 30 years. In the years. video games. In the video games and the animated movies and TV series since the early 90s. Um, but before that on the screen was uh, Jack Nicholson. Yep, I And remember. he was very different to Heath Ledger's Joker. So when they announced that Heath Ledger was cast on this, in this role, everyone was like, this guy, the pretty boy from Brokeback Mountain, really? Yeah. And he just nailed it. Because it, he made it his own. He didn't look at what was previously done and try to imitate that. No, and I think that's what I was trying to say, is that you look at it, or when he, like, just whenever he goes into those interpersonal situations, like when he goes in with all the mob bosses, you know, like, he's just, he's got... He's got those mannerisms. Exactly, like, the nuances, and he's, like, got the strings on the grenades in his jacket pocket, and he's just wiggling his finger. Those little things where it's like, I'm not Casey, I'm not Casey, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I really enjoyed that character, just because I don't think... I've seen anyone else play that kind of character that way before. That said, I haven't seen other Joker portrayals. Like, I'd be curious to see how Jared Leto 
played him in Suicide Squad and stuff like that. Not to d- draw too many comparisons. Or even Joaquin Phoenix's is a little bit more of a comparison to Heath Ledger because he's taking it to such a different extreme. Well, and I think that too, you've got these two actors who are kind of known for going this certain way in the roles that they play, and this was just such a hard turn away from it. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm curious to see how he how he plays him as well. Ledger did get the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He's only one of two actors to get it posthumously. And the film was nominated for eight nominations. The only other one that it won was uh, film editing. We should probably mention before we go too far into this that The Dark Knight is the second of the Christopher Nolan trilogy. The first one was Batman Begins in 2005. And then The Dark Knight Rises came in in 2012. So we're going to probably not do much of a spoiler-free zone on this. But we are going to be also vague. So if you haven't seen it, maybe you should just go watch it and then come back. The opening scene is, oh, I could watch that over and over again, where they're breaking into the bank and you don't know oh, who, which, who the Joker is and they're flying on that zip line. And even the the manager at the bank, the way he handles that, it's it's an intense scene. I remember watching that for the first time and again watching it to do the podcast and remembering how I felt about it. I remember watching it for the first time and just being... You know, it's like, what the hell's going on here? You know what I mean? It was it was a really good scene kind of foreshadowing the whole tone of the movie and the whole tone of the Joker's character yeah. because he's always like, it's just chaos for he's the sake bold. of chaos. Oh, he's- that's very much what the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Chaos for the sake of chaos. He doesn't actually want to hurt anyone and he even says it in the, in the movie. I was like, I don't want to kill you. Because that's very much what the Joker does in the video games and the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have one without the other. The Joker just likes chaos for the sake of chaos. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie gets that very right because it just... It has the Joker right. And I think that they, it also gets Batman just right. I was going to say, do you want to talk about Batman? Let's Probably. Talk, this is a Batman, Batman movie. Yeah. It, I think it gets Batman very right. Because, again, previous portrayals of Batman uh, have been very uh, caricature or cartoony you got Adam West's Batman from the 60s where he's running around in his underwear. No one no one will believe that that's a superhero. You had, uh, like, Val Kilmer and George Clooney with his plastic nipples. It wasn't... <laughs> you didn't remember that? No. <laughs> he had, like, uh, they tried to imitate the armor uh, to be, like, gladiator statues. And you can always see the nipples in that. Mm. And it, it just looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christian Bale does a great job as Batman here. And you believe that he's hard. You believe that he's a ninja. You believe that he's a millionaire, he's just, like, smart. I don't know what it is about his performance, but it's just, it's just there, you know what I mean? When he's out and he's, I'm Batman, he's putting on the voice and everything, you know what I mean? It's, I just, I think he was so well cast for this one, and it's not just because I'm a huge Christian Bale fan, but I just think, maybe it's just his versatility, you know what I mean, that he was able to play this so well. And I think a lot of the gadgets and the equipment that he has is very Batman-like. I it's rem- really cool. I remember it was in the first one where they were doing all the developments, but let's just touch on that really quickly. There is developments in the first one and the second one. I just, I loved how plausible some of this stuff seemed. You know what yes. I mean? Like, it wasn't like, it's this superhero card that doesn't make any sense. No, it was like using military technology to make this armored vehicle 
And let's just paint it black to make it super stealth. Everything that they put in there, it wasn't just, how does it work? Oh, we don't know, but it's superhero stuff, so it's powered by kryptonite or whatever, you know what I mean? It was, it kind of gave me the same vibe as the first Iron Man. I was actually going to mention that because Christopher Nolan tried to really set this in reality as this is a thing that could actually happen, you know? People don't have superhero powers and they're not going to other planets and things. And I really appreciate that, and that was why, like... That was part of the reason why I liked the first Iron Man so much. It took I a, still think it's the best one. Yeah, it definitely took a hard turn into the MCU after that. Yeah, but um, which is fair enough. Yeah. You couldn't really do a, a superhero universe without going to the extreme. But that first one was very much set in real reality. He didn't exactly. actually have superpowers. He's just a genius billionaire, much like Batman. Yeah. And isn't it amazing that these came out like within a month of each other? Batman and Iron, Iron Man. Man. Oh, I didn't realize that. And I would put the discussion out there to be, um, these are two best superhero movies ever made. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that's why Batman's got rated number four. Other things in that discussion would probably be uh, the recent Logan or Deadpool. But those are also very cartoony and, and not set in reality. They use superhero powers. And mm-hmm. I think that's why maybe this is so appealing Apart from the fact that it's it's just a good movie. Even if this weren't a superhero movie, it's a good story. Well, I'm starting to think about what are the other things beside the story and the characters that drew me to this movie. I really like the cinematography. That shot, you know, they show often... Nolan's very good at that. Yeah, like they show that shot of the river in... Because it's Chicago, right? Most of it is filmed in Chicago, Yeah, yes. so it just it shows that grandeur that you're supposed to be getting of what is Gotham. You know what I mean? That shot from the river. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I love, you know, he's standing on top of the buildings just looking like a gargoyle. He did that in... There's a shot in Hong Kong where he's standing on the... I love those. That is a great scene of Hong Kong because it just makes it seem so grandeur and and classy. And it's so well suited in that movie because, like, he's going to get you. It doesn't matter where you go. He's going to get you. That's such a badass scene because... The Joker was even saying that Batman doesn't have jurisdiction. He's going to get you, and he proves it right. And I think that that was such a great scene, just Mm. to show off Hong Kong that way. That just shows how badass Batman is. Well, and it's still plausible. Yes. It was 100% still plausible. They explained it with the military planes Mm -hmm. in the 60s. They had these technologies and the explosives on the window. It's just awesome. It was so good. So I also really liked the score. I thought it was kind of well suited to the tone that they were trying to create for this movie because it was it was intense the whole time. I think it's an iconic score. I think it is too. And Hans Zimmer did the score. He does most of Christopher Nolan's stuff. We should probably mention that Christopher Nolan's very well known for doing uh, Inception. He recently did Dunkirk. He's done Prestige. He did Interstellar. And they've all got the same kind of Mostly because of that soundtrack, because it's the same guy, and he's very good at making you feel tense. You haven't seen Dunkirk, have you? No. There's some scenes in there where it's all music, and you are on the edge of your seat just from listening to that music, Mm. and it's the same guy. Mm -hmm. And the track towards the end of this film, it's just, it makes you feel pumped up just by listening to that score. Mm -hmm. It's unreal, and I'm glad that he continues to work with uh, Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. Even parts of Interstellar is, is so intense by the use of sound. There's some scenes in Interstellar there. He doesn't use music at all, and that is what make it makes it intense. Well, and just good on Nolan for 
finding something that works and keeping with consistency. You see a lot of people mm-hmm. do that. As soon as they find someone, it's like, yes, you can portray exactly what I want to do. Then you can, you'll see them work over and over again. You see mm-hmm. Spielberg do it. You see Tarantino do it. Scorsese does it. Um, they just use the same people because when you've been in the industry for decades, you want someone who you know how they work, you know, and you know what the product is that you're going to get with them. So mm-hmm. you often see that. I was always under the impression that Ledger died before he got to film his last scene in the movie, but I was researching it for this, and he didn't. They were in post-editing when he did die, and it's just surprising because it does sort of have an odd cut toward the end there, and you don't really know what's happening with the Joker, where it feels like, oh, he should have had an extra scene there. Well, and we, we just don't know, right? Like, maybe... Maybe they were gonna in the next movie that was gonna be the opening scene. Like, I absolutely you know think what I mean. That it's a, he was gonna be a big part of the third movie. Well, it's kind of like the Star Wars Carrie Fisher problem. You know what I mean? Like, um, yes, but Carrie Fisher had or- already filmed all of her roles for the next movie. But they still had to totally yes. rewrite the next Star Wars. And movie. I think that's why it took like four years for the next movie to come out. Um, it probably would have only taken two or three max if Ledger wouldn't have died. And I'm sure due to his popularity, he probably would have been a major part. But I feel like The Dark Knight Rises, which came out four years later, had to be completely rewritten after that. Here's an interesting question for you. Would you have wanted another actor to play the Joker just to continue that story? Or do you No. Th- okay. You couldn't have done it. See, because I, I agree with you. I wouldn't. I think it would have been a disservice to Ledger's portrayal of that character. But also, I'm super curious to know what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Because yes. he just drops off the face of the planet and disappears. And as an audience, you kind of understand, you know, the forces that act behind. Like, if somebody dies you understand that they have to rewrite those scenes or that movie and you kind of you kind of excuse it and just take it for what it is whereas if you were just watching this for the cinemagraphic value i i would want to know where that plot line was going where that going character to go. was going mm-hmm. yeah i'm not sure why more superhero movies haven't tried to replicate what happened here and i mean that by a lot of superhero movies these days put more effort into universe building than what they do as to making a good film. If you put everything aside and just say, I want to make a good movie, then the universe will build around it. And I, I wasn't specifically thinking of the, the DCEU when I said that, but I, I am thinking of it now. The DCEU has rushed into making their universe, and they could have done it brilliantly if they hired the right people and gave them time. Time is the biggest thing for these things. You could really just make some brilliant movies, and I think that's why... Iron Man is definitely up there as one of the best MCU movies is because they gave them the time. Because Marvel gave them the time to work through and properly build that universe is what you're saying. Okay. I agree with you. And I think, too, something to note for production companies, you don't have to just keep producing and keep producing and keep producing to keep your consumers happy because... They feel like they need to, though. Sure. But, I mean, the audiences will wait. You know what I mean? And waiting's not a bad thing no. if you can produce a good product at the end. And and people are starting to feel a bit fatigued with superhero movies. If you just give it a couple of extra years in between them, you get a good product and people are more willing to go watch it because there's anticipation. Exactly. Just like some of these new 
Star Wars movies that have been coming out, you know. That's a good example. Yeah. People loved waiting in line and anticipating if there was like 10 years in between those it movies. It becomes a phenomenon. It again, does. Right? Like, it's not, you're not just, you know, this one comes out on Monday and this one comes out on Tuesday and this one comes out on Wednesday and oh, by the way, you can just watch it on Netflix. It takes away from that. It that really does. Movie going experience. And I think having that time in between. It does. It, it brings the phenomenon back into it. You see that with a lot of things. You see it with recording artists if they take a few years between albums. You see it a lot in video games. If you have an annual, annually released video game, people won't buy it as much as if you do it once every two years or five years. Okay, so let's go back to Batman a little bit and talk about some of our favorite... Um... Oh, and there's another villain in here. Yeah. Harvey Two-Face Dent, um, played by Aaron Eckhart. And I think the visual effects used on his character are astounding. They're creepy, and it's so realistic, and it really makes you feel like this character's real. I I remember the first time I saw him, I hated him then, and I still don't like him now. It creeps me out so much. Just the look of his, his face. Yeah. I think that's the point, is to you make seen, you feel uncomfortable. Have you seen Skyfall? No, yeah. I haven't. Okay, there's a character in there with something similar going on. Don't like him either. Like I was just... thinking of uh, Terminator. Um, I, haven't I haven't seen Terminator. Well, there's a, a scene in, in a couple of the Termin- uh, Terminators where he removes the skin and he's got... <sighs> well, it's it's a machine. So you see uh, sort of a machine skull and, and jawline yeah, and this, things. And that's this, what it reminds me of. Yeah, this you, you just see... Um, <laughs> um it's impressive that it's able to make you feel ugh, from special effects. Yeah, no, because that would have been totally computerized, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah. I would imagine so. Um, and I didn't like this character as much because he just flips. And maybe that's the part of it. I was going to say he flips like a coin. His thing is that he's got the coin and he flips the coin. But, like, I don't... I you don't, don't feel it. You don't see it. It doesn't seem genuine because he just... He literally changed on a dime. You know what I mean? He was such a good guy portrayed throughout, like, half of the movie, and then all of a sudden he's the villain. You don't see that progression. Is that what you mean? Yes, and I don't feel like that's as realistic, whereas everything else in the movie seems so plausible. This, to me, just doesn't seem that plausible because I don't I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just being naive, but I don't feel like people just change overnight. Okay. You know what I mean? So that part of it, I was like, you're a sellout. You know I what think I mean? there's a couple of reasons for that. Okay. For starters, it's it's a movie, so they have limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. So they had to get from A to B quickly because they have restricted time. But it was mostly uh, Rachel's death that made him flip so quickly. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose is understandable. I don't know much about that character. Uh, I played him a little bit in the in the video games, but that's pretty much it. I don't really have much of an in-depth as to who he is or what what's within the comics and things. Yeah, not yeah. Two Face. I I do know that um, I do know that in the comic books, his face is burnt from acid from Maroni. While in the movie, it's uh interplayed with Joker's storyline because he likes to play games with Batman and he uses Harvey's uh, progression to do so. I think the Dark Knight definitely set up. Uh, set the bar for comic book movies uh, going on onwards. I would say so. Because before that, I guess it was set by maybe Spider-Man 2. That was a massive thing. But that has a very different feel. I think Batman set the new bar and created its own sort of genre with these new uh, realistic 
superhero movies? Which I think the ones that I have seen, they've got that very Hollywood feel, and I like this better. You know what I mean? It's it's a different kind of superhero movie. I think what you're explaining is the reason is the same reason why you liked the first Deadpool more than the second. Because the second seemed too universe building and blockbuster. It had those big car chases and it was all CGI. And the first one did have that a bit. Mutants, mutants, mutants. It was very much about the mutants. But the first one was more of a personal sort of story. Um, And as ridiculous as it is because he's Deadpool, it it wasn't your typical superhero movie while the second one felt more like that. I think you hit the nail on the head there because we've had that conversation before. And yeah, it just... Because it becomes less about that character and the story of that character and more about the Empire. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, And I personally, as a consumer of cinema don't prefer it that way okay yeah i don't think that you're in the majority there i think most people just like to go watch superheroes punch each other um well it just depends too like what you're in the mood for because i mean yeah like i've seen quite a few too that are very very typically mcu movies and i mean if that's what you're going into and that's what you want to see then you know all power to you but when you have that switch between sequels, that's when I don't really appreciate it as much. You know what I mean? When one With has, Deadpool? Yeah. So, like, if one has that very, you know, let's call it authentic feel and the other has that very Hollywood feel, it's just too much of a switch for me. I don't appreciate it that way. I think you're right. I think we're talking about two very different types of superhero movies that work very well in their own rights. On one spectrum, you've got things like Iron Man and The Dark Knight, which work as cinematic realism um, set in reality. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you've got things that are also very good, but it's ridiculous. Like Like Thor and Ant-Man. Yeah, Infinity War is also in (laughs) the top 100. Everyone loves Infinity War, but it's about giant aliens and going into space and and these crazy superpowers yeah they're very different both can be very good in their own rights i just don't like when you when you have the immediate switch between the two because it's like pick one because they're both good but if you try to get everything you kind of just it muddles it up a bit because in the comic book joker's face and his hair are actually the way he looks he was burnt in a chemical factory, and his hair is actually green, and his face is actually white. white. While in this, he does his own makeup, and he puts it on, like they say, war paint. And I think Heath Ledger even did it, so it made it look like he put his own makeup on. Yeah, I love... It's very method. I Yeah, I love those little details, because you can see, like, when he's in the hospital, and he's got the wig on, he's still got paint on his fingers, you know what I mean? That let's, whole scene is great, the way he acts out. Let's talk about some of these little nuances and so, and that scene. I love that scene, too. It's just, it's one more piece of why he was so well cast in that role. I think it's those little things that aren't Ledger the Oscar. Absolutely. Um, there's even the scene where he's sitting in the police station and Commissioner Gordon just got the role. And Ledger's just sitting there clapping, but he does it in such an, an eerie way. And just eccentric, he's just, you know, he's just like a little kid, you know, he's just... Well, he describes himself as a dog chasing a car, and that's exactly how Ledger plays him. Yeah. The looks on his faces and the little mannerisms and that voice is so joker. Mm -hmm. He did it brilliantly. 
I forgot until we watched the trilogy together a few months ago how long this movie is. Like, it's over two and a half hours. Christopher Nolan's movies usually are. But um, I really enjoyed it. I forgot how good it is. I thought, oh, it's just a Batman movie. Because I saw this in cinemas originally in 2008. And I hadn't seen the first one. But I just thought, that is one of my favorite movies. Well, and I like, too, that, like, it almost, to me, feels like it ends twice. So I feel like you have the kidnapping and explosion scenes and you almost feel like that ends there. And it's interesting because that's where Harvey's good side ends. You know what I mean? And then you're like, well, I hope there's more. And then there is. And then you see where that goes and it ends properly again because it it, it takes a very different turn from that event onward. You know what I mean? Or not, not a hugely different turn, but an important plot point. Yes. Yeah. It's a shame that Christopher Nolan wasn't able to make the sequel to this movie that he wanted, The Dark Knight Rises, because I really think it was a lot of studio pressure um, that made that movie go in the directions that it did. Well, and the fact that he didn't have Heath Ledger anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that he wasn't able to to have more creative uh, freedom there, which when you see Nolan playing with creative freedom, he makes some brilliant works of art. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a shame that uh, there's not more of that. In the Batman universe. I think the new Batman movie's got um, Matt Reeves, I think, is directing it, who did the recent Planet of the Apes movies. Okay. And I'll be very interested to see how that goes. I don't know if Ben Affleck's going to pick it up again for the solo Batman movie that's coming out. Have you? I haven't seen him as Batman. Have you seen him as Batman? I've heard that... I haven't actually seen Batman vs. Superman, but I heard he's a lot more just... He's sort of whiny, and you don't believe him as this hard ass. See, and that I I was I didn't know how to express that, but I agree with you. And it's like it's almost too bad. I I loved Christian Bale in that role because he's so versatile. He just he you do believe him as that hard ass. You know what I mean? Like you do believe that he will mess you up, especially if you've seen the first one and you see his training. I didn't realize he he did so much martial arts training. As you, Batman. Yes. Yeah. Because most superhero movies, they're like, oh, I'm a superhero now. I know how to fight, which is so not true. And that's probably not how it would go just because Spider-Man all of a sudden becomes muscly and can see without glasses. He knows how to kick ass. Yeah. And you, I like that you can see that progression and it continues over into the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And he's just... There's something... I think there's something about just... I don't know if it's his facial structure or just Bale's personality as himself, but he's got that kind of ominous look to him, you know what I mean? Mysterious, and you just look at him when he's got that expressionless look and is like, yeah, he I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas Ben Affleck doesn't have that. You know, a lot of these other actors who played Batman previously didn't have it in the same way. I think Batman could have been all right under Affleck because I think Ben Affleck's a good actor. He's an Oscar winner. He's the right age for it. Mm -hmm. Batman's traditionally in his mid-40s by the time he's actually doing these things. And Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy is stretched out over like 16 years, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. Again, I haven't seen Batman vs. Superman, but I just heard that it's not the way Batman should have been, and I don't blame Affleck for that. You think it's a directorial or a it's studio a, with issue. with these big pro- products, particularly with the uh, 
the universe building, it's mostly heads up that change some of those character developments uh, for the better or worse. Mm. I never, I didn't see Batman vs. Superman. I don't really have any desire to see it, again, because it's mixing those, those I might worlds watch it sometime. that I, I don't like. And also, I just I just like my Christian Bale Batman. You do am, like Christian am, Bale? Yeah, am I, am I allowed to just, to just be biased in that way? I would like to see what they're able to do with the character going forth after Christopher Nolan's Batman and after Ben Affleck's Batman. I'd mm. really like to see what they can do with the character. Also, do you reckon they're just going to keep doing the same creation backstory over and over and over again? Well, I don't think they did an origin story for Ben Affleck. I think they just said, yep, he's Batman, you know his story. Okay. Which is basically what they did with Spider-Man and the new MCU, because we don't need another origin story for Spider-Man. Because there's already been a couple. In the last, like, this century sort of thing. So I think that concludes everything we have to say or talk about with The Dark Knight. Um, Christopher Nolan's second Batman movie. So if you haven't seen it, maybe you should just go watch it. Until next week, we are Danielle and Branson. We have been Danielle and Branson this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening. Let me try it. Okay. Because I never do it. And uh, you're just, just go. asking everything like yeah, it's a question? I'm Australian. <laughs> <laughs>